in the secret place, I seek to meet with you, God, face to face, where distractions disappear, and I hear your voice so clear, I can feel your presence linger in the air. As I lift my hands and enter in, my busy heart can start to rest, to beat in time again. For in this holy place where, Father, you and I embrace, your glory shines, refines, transforms my mind until I am not the same. For in your presence, I am always changed. With my arms lifted high in awe and wonder, I bow before your throne. Peace beyond all I've known as I rest here with you, my God alone. I'm lost for words. The ruler of the universe, the one who brings all things to pass, would converse with me as if I am the only one you see. And as I step outside this secret place, something follows a holy trace that emanates from deep within. A light that shines from where I've been that others might even catch a glimpse. Like the wonder of a shining star, see in my eyes a hint of who you are. Hello, Kingsgate Church. It's great to be with you in this incredible time we're living in. And what a time to be fasting and praying. Uh, last time I was here, uh, after I finished speaking, I was catching up with Dave. And uh, I don't know how we came up, but I, we ended up kind of connecting about something. I, I guess I was talking about we were about to do a fast. I said, oh, we're going to be doing a fast in September as a community, uh, just building up into the Jewish New Year. And I was like, oh, we're doing a fast as well. I was like, what, what day are you starting? Well, he told me that, that's the same day we're starting too. So I was like, this is so incredible. Uh, and I've, I've met some other people who are church leaders and are feeling the same stirring. And I believe it's a God set up that in this season, there's an increase of prayer and fasting going on to almost condition the spiritual atmosphere of the nation for what God is doing at this time. So I want to say well done, and I believe God is going to continue to do some incredible things in and through us. Uh, today, I'm going to be following on from uh, some things that Dave shared last week, because he went through the tabernacle, and he ended up talking about the Holy of Holies, and in the Holy of Holies, obviously, the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant represents the presence of God. And um, there's some people you meet and you can tell they carry a unique dimension or dose <laughs> of the presence of God. And I believe one of those people, believe it or not, is the queen. Yeah. Now, I was privileged to meet her uh, when I was 18. And I had just about uh, one minute, it wasn't a one minute full on conversation, but it was about a minute of her attention where she was talking to me. And this last week, I've just been reflecting on that so much in a way that has made me realize things I didn't realize before and listen to what lots of people have said about this woman. I believe she is a woman of God, or she was a woman of God, and I believe she wasn't just a woman that had a faith. I believe she prayed for this nation. I believe she's prayed for all her children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. I believe her prayers 
are prayers that God values. It carries weight in the heavens. And in that interaction I had with her, as I just think back to that as I go into this message about the ark, I can, re- I can remember the sense of weightiness, depth, in the simple words that we exchanged in that moment. And it's, it's, it's crazy. It wasn't anything profound. She was just asking me what I did and if I was a student. But as I think back to the look in her eyes in that moment, I'm thinking, this is, the more I think about it, the more I realize how prophetic that was, even for me at the time. Because uh, it wasn't just one of those interactions that you forget. It was uh, a short conversation with a long pause of staring at each other. <laughs> but you know, there's some awkward moments where you stare. This wasn't awkward at all. It, it was like, I'm looking into the eyes of the Queen of England, but I'm not going to look away. <laughs> and she isn't looking away either. But I can sense something. But as I've, as I've meditated on that this last week, and honestly, I don't think I've meditated on that encounter as much as I've done this week, I realized maybe God was trying to do something in that moment, even in me, of connecting something of what she's carrying for the nation to my heart myself. And because I, at the time I just come to the UK, so that was 2002, and I just came to the UK 2017, and I see myself as a missionary in this nation. Maybe she prophetically picked something up, because there was no way she should have come to me in the crowd of people, but she chose to come to me, and she had that conversation with me and walked off. So I knew, when I think about that, I'm like, Lord, maybe there was something quite significant about that moment I should not forget. So I am passionate about the United Kingdom, and I want to declare, God is not finished with the United Kingdom. And he hasn't forgotten her prayers and the prayers of all the saints, all the prophetic voices, all the men and women of God that have come from these shores, the missionaries that gave their lives for the gospel. One thing that's common to all these people is they carried the presence of God in an increasing measure. This is what John said about Jesus. He says, to him, the spirit of God, John 1, 32. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. It's one thing for the spirit to come. It's another thing for the spirit to remain. So John saw that the, the spirit of God came upon Jesus and did not leave him. See, that's a picture of Jesus carrying the presence. It's a picture of Jesus carrying the ark. Now, we just read a passage earlier about the ark of the covenant being carried and lots of celebration. One of the things I love about David is he had a revelation of how music is such an important tool in hosting the presence of God. Now, well, let's just back up a bit. Before David brought the Ark of the Covenant back uh, with all the celebration, what we just read about a few moments ago, we look back to when the Ark was captured. Because the Ark has been, I will say, probably the most significant sacred box in the whole of the Old Testament. It's like so revered, so honored. You know, people just don't mess about with it. In fact, a lot of breakthroughs, a few breakthroughs in the nation's history is specifically connected to this box, you know, this Ark of the Covenant. When they were going to cross uh, the Jordan, the priests had to carry the Ark on their shoulders before there was the parting of the Jordan. When they were going to uh, 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 come against Jericho, when, when they were going to, uh, uh, yeah, the match around Jericho, the ark was a significant part of that. So we read of a very interesting story uh, where uh, earlier in the book of Samuel where uh, the ark is being brought into battle because the children of Israel are in a challenging moment. 
they're facing the Philistines and they're being defeated. A lot of people are being killed. So obviously the elders of the children of Israel think to themselves, well, we're losing this battle and we need breakthrough. Because we're losing this battle and we break through, there's one thing we need to go and find, and it's the Ark of the Covenant, because the Ark helped us to cross the Jordan. The Ark helped us to, to, to stand against Jericho and see those walls come down. The Ark is our answer. And in, that, that's not theologically wrong. That's theologically right. But there was a problem, which we're going to come to in a moment. They got the Ark, and they brought the Ark into the battle that they were losing. Which is a great thing. You want the presence of God going ahead of you. You want, you want to carry the presence of God into a battle. However, when they brought the ark into the battlefield, what happened was they said there was a great shout, almost to the point where the ground shook, and the enemy was even afraid. But the enemy said to themselves, well, let's just gather our strength together. You know, it sounds like something great is happening in their camp. We're going to fight with everything in us. And to the surprise of the enemy and to the surprise of the people of God, the enemy overcame them even though they have the ark. So what's going on there? Well, if you back up and read some details in the story, you find that it's some names mentioned, a couple names mentioned of some individuals that were part of the procession of bringing the ark into that battlefield. Do you know what their names are? It's the sons of Eli. Ophni and, is it Ophni? Yeah, Ophni and Phineas. Those two sons, if you know the story, they were involved in all sorts of horrible atrocities. In fact, it says they slept with women at the entrance of the temple. I mean, imagine that. You come to church and the pastor's children are committing immorality at the entrance. I mean, how great, as in it's, it's, it's mind-blowing. These ones were the ones that were part of the procession for bringing the ark into the battlefield. So they carried the ark on their shoulders, expecting the presence to work for them in a moment of their need. But it wasn't just about trying to manipulate the presence to do what they wanted, when they wanted, how they wanted. It was about the type of shoulders that would bear the presence. You can't just get the presence, worship, and just ask God to come, and you want to... Get God's presence to come so that you can use his presence for your own good while you're not ready to submit to the government that the presence brings. So they took the, they took the ark into the battlefield. And obviously, you know what happened? The ark gets captured. They still lose the battle. I mean, the ark was so important that when the news got back to Eli that the ark was captured, he heard that his sons had died. No reaction. The moment he heard the ark was captured, he fell off and died. His daughter-in-law, she heard that her husband had died. Not, much, not so much a reaction. When she heard that the ark has been captured, she went into labor, gave birth, and named the child after the fact that the ark had been captured, not after the husband or anyone in the family. So that gives you, the, 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 that gives you a picture of how much they value the ark of the covenant. So here we fast forward to the passage we just read in 1 Samuel 6. The ark had been captured by the Philistines, and later on, God struck them of all these plagues, and then they decided to return the ark back. However, they did something very unusual. They returned the ark on a cart. The ark left on shoulders. The children of Israel, the ark is always supposed to be on shoulders. But when the Philistines returned it back, it was returned on a cart. Now, the passage we just read in 1 Samuel 6 
When David was going to bring the ark back, do you know what he did? He didn't really do any research about how the ark was meant to be brought in. He just copied what the enemy already did. And in fact, he, he, he said there, it was a new cart. So he, he remodeled whatever they did, but it was the same principle, it was the same way, and he brought the ark in with music, with dancing, but God wasn't pleased with that method. And it's interesting that God did nothing about it. I mean, there's so much we could say about a lot of that, but I'm not going to go into those details. What I really want to land on, because I don't have much time, is the fact that the ark came on a cart. When the ark comes on a cart, and it says this, Uzzah, in other accounts of this story, Uzzah and, and those around him, they drove the ark. Everyone say they drove the ark. When you drive the ark, you're finding a convenient way to carry the presence. You're finding a way to be around the presence and to have the presence work for you, but around your lifestyle in a way where it doesn't bring discomfort to you. You, When you drive the ark, you are in charge, not the ark. But the way God designed the ark to function is, it's meant to rest on shoulders. When you drive the ark, you determine the pace. When the ark is on your shoulders, the weight of what you're carrying determines your pace. The presence of God is meant to rest on us. This is why it says in Isaiah 9:6, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Listen to this, and the government shall rest where? Upon his shoulders. From carrying the ark on the shoulder, so to speak, it's, it's the place from which the government of God is released in the earth. So God's prescribed method of hosting his presence is that it brings a government order over your life. When the ark is on your shoulders, you feel the pain. Fasting. When the ark is on your shoulders, you feel the demands. Because that ark determines how you live your life. Okay, if you don't believe, let's, let's fast forward to the New Testament, Jesus. He says, the Spirit of God came upon him in Mark, and he says, the Spirit drove him. Everyone say, drove him. Drove him into the wilderness. See, you may be sitting here right now. The question to you is, what is driving you? For some people, your flesh is driving you. For some people, the world is driving you. For some people, money is driving you. For some people, sex is driving you. For some people, drugs, relation, name it. The list goes on, is what's driving But the question is not, what are you driving? It's what is driving you? And some, there's a theology in the body of Christ, I've heard this every now and again, where people think, okay, you know what? Um, you know, I've been saved and, you know, thank you, Lord, for salvation. Thank you, Lord, for breakthrough. And I'm just going to rest in that victory. And, you know, James, why, why are you guys doing all this intense fasting and prayer? It, Jesus already won the victory on the cross. You don't need to, you don't need to fast. Any, you know, it just, this is a season of feasting. Just, just, I mean, I mean, you heard that? This is not a season of feasting. Can I say that? Because Jesus says, when the bridegroom is taken away from you, then you'll fast. This is that season. Prophets of the nature of John the Baptist, Elijah, they're forged in the deserts of fasting and prayer, not the deserts of feasting. So God is wanting us to be like Jesus. The Spirit came upon him. And see, the Spirit's expression when it landed on Jesus was it drove him into intense fasting. 
What makes you think if you're going to carry the Spirit upon you, He's not going to drive you into some things that make you uncomfortable? Jesus went into a season where he didn't eat for, I don't mean he had one meal a day or he had salad. He did not eat for 40 days. You think that is easy? Some people think anything that requires effort spiritually is striving. That's another misconception because striving is not about what you're doing. It's more about where you're doing it from. Two people could be doing the same things. One could be striving, the other could not. Because when you're striving, you're trying to do it in your own flesh, trying to earn something from him. However, when you submit to his authority, he could drive you into things that make you so uncomfortable. And don't allow the people that are not under the government to dictate to you how you who are under his government should live. Because when you carry the ark on your shoulders, he determines your pace. So some people are saying, oh, well, you don't need to do all this intense fasting. Just chill out. The victory is already won. Well, yes, that is true, but that is part of the story. It's not the complete whole picture. Jesus won the victory on the cross, and Jesus said, it is finished. Right? And we believe in that. We rest in that. However, through the Holy Spirit, Paul then comes and says, we wrestle. Jesus said, it is finished, and Paul comes and says, we wrestle. It's both. We are wrestling from the position of the finished work of Christ. This is the best way to say, listen, the finished work of Christ provides the, the platform for the current work of the Holy Spirit. And the current work of the Holy Spirit is raising up believers who will be able to host his presence like Jesus did where the Spirit came and remained. For many people, he's coming and he's leaving because we're grieving him and we're not living under his government. If we're going to be people that carry the ark on our shoulders, guys, our lives are going to, our lives are going to become narrow. Because there are certain things that presence is not going to tolerate. There are certain conversations, there are certain movies, there are certain people you're going to be around and the presence will say, no, you don't need to be in this company right now. And other Christians may not even understand it. They may, oh, you're being religious, you're being what? They may call you names. But listen, if you're living under the presence and under the government of God, that is the most important thing. Because I am more concerned about being a voice in the heavens than a celebrity on the earth. I am more concerned about pleasing God than pleasing man. And there are, way, there are ways God would lead you that would often mean you displease man and you're pleasing him. But so, so I am more concerned about that. God is warning us in this season of fasting to realize there is a huge responsibility he's calling us to. The presence of God has different dimensions to it. Like right now, we are to a certain degree, experiencing a dimension of the presence of God, which means you can all sit, sit and be fairly comfortable. There's some other dimension of the presence where you will not be able to sit, sit right there. You will be on the floor like a dead man. There are other dimensions of the presence that causes you to have a holy fear. I remember a friend of mine talking to me about him praying once, spending some time praying in his room, and he says, the presence of God came in. He was so scared, he went and hid in the wardrobe. <laughs> Because there's a dimension of the presence that brings the fear of God, the, the, the good fear of God. It's like a reverential, oh my goodness, I don't want to do that or say the wrong thing right now. This is such a holy moment. And see, we think because we just have goosebumps in a service, that's all there is to the presence. Don't be deceived. The same um, Apostle Paul, uh, uh, John, Apostle John, who rested his head on Jesus' chest 
and was quite comfortable was the same one who saw the same Jesus in Revelations. The same Jesus glorified. And he was like a dead man. So my question to you is, what dimension of the presence do you want to carry? Because the greater he increases his measure, the greater the responsibility that measure brings on your life. Maybe you're not carrying the presence to the degree you desire because you're not living under his government as you should right now. And the more you're aligned to his government, the more he's able to come and remain on you and be able to move through you and you can be a voice for him everywhere you go. We just pray that. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Do you know that's a dimension of carrying the ark? Because you cannot disconnect the, the kingdom of God from the will of God. You cannot disconnect the kingdom of God from the government of God. And if you're going to have the government, he is going to have some regulations for your life. And it's not regulations that, it's like, you know, we say it all the time, Christianity is not about religion, it's about relationship. That is true. But the deeper you get into a relationship with God, the more you start to realize he starts to put some boundaries around the way you live. Oh, James, you can't do this anymore. You can't, well, that was okay last year, but that's not okay anymore this year. But like, well, Lord, the other brother, the other Christian over there is okay with that. James, that might be okay with them, but it's not okay with you because I'm calling you to a different path and I'm wanting to focus on my calling. Don't compare yourself with them. Listen to the instructions coming from my government. And that instruction from the Lord is going to bring such a narrowness to the way I live and the way we're called to live. And it, it's not necessarily that the way I do is going to look like the way you do it because as, as I've walked with God, I realize there's something I'm calling tailor-made holiness. Well, you know, there's just the giving kind of sins. You know, we all know the sins or the, you know, works of the flesh, the things that we should stay away from. And then as you walk with God, there comes some gray areas where it's not said in the Bible and there's nothing against you doing that. But there are times where the Holy Spirit might not allow you to do those things. Not that it's wrong, but because he's bringing his government over you. And so for just the sake of being random, he might just say to you, I'm not saying he said this to me, but he might say to you, you're not allowed to wear white trainers. That's just silly. That might not make any sense to you. That might not make any sense to anyone else. But he might give you that as, because, I don't know, that might mean something else further down the line that you have no idea about. And you're like, I feel like the Lord is restricting me from wearing that. It's not that it's a sin, but it's because you're coming under his government. And as you lean into that, you know what's going to happen? You're going to see an increase in the dimension of the presence that's manifested in you. Because you're carrying him on your shoulders and now he's determining your steps and your pace. That is the essence of what I believe the Lord wants to communicate to us about the Ark of the Covenant today. That we will be a people that carry it on our shoulders, not driving it on a cart. Do you understand with me? It's a simple message, but it's profound in its impact and consequences. It's so easy to come to a service like this and sing and say yes to God publicly. But I have been in places where the Lord has required things of me that have been so painful. 
and I've come and I'm saying, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay this down before your altar. And I've done it with tears, really upset, but really knowing that I can't shake the fact that God is asking me to do this. Not that what he's asking me to do or not do, per se, is kind of like a right or wrong, per se. But I know that if I, do, I, I knew at the time, if I didn't obey what I felt the Spirit was leading me to do, I would be in disobedience. And even if I told that publicly and I told that to you, you'd go, that's not sin. But inside, I would know that I was not in alignment with God because I could tell He was prompting me in a very unusual way, and I had to say yes to it. And it was so painful. But I look back on those seasons, and I can see a shift in authority. I can see a shift in me as I submitted to the pressure that carrying the presence on my shoulders was bringing to my life. It was, it was making me more narrow. And I don't mean narrow in a kind of odd way, in a way where I am being set apart. The word is being set apart, consecrated to God in a way where He can move in a way He wants through us. So this morning is a simple prayer. And I'm just going to ask you to respond by lifting your hands. As we're in this season of fasting, I believe the Lord is wanting us to realign ourselves to him in a way where we say, Lord, we want to bear the weight. I want to bear the weight on my shoulders that your government can come through me. Even if that means some restrictions, even if that means I wake up one morning and tell me, James, fast, and I don't feel like fasting. Or I wake up one morning, you're like, James, I want you to do this, or you know, I want you to do that. And I can feel that in a way where I know it's you and I can't deny it. Lord, whatever it is, there's already a yes in my heart. Please help me to work it out. If you're here to, this morning and that's your prayer, you're saying, Lord, I want to carry this on my shoulders, the ark in a whole new dimension in this season. Bring your government over my life. Just lift your hands with me. I want to pray over you. And then we're going to let the band play and release a song over us as a response in this moment. Father, here our hands just raised to you. In this season of fasting, this critical time in this nation, changing of leaders, king, prime minister. It's like a, a changing of the guard. Father, we are saying as your church, we want to live under the government of your presence. We don't want just the presence that gives us goosebumps and a nice feeling in the moment. We also want a dimension of the presence that brings guidelines, that brings order, that brings direction, that sometimes even brings pain so that we can go deeper and higher and so that you can work through us in, in more significant ways for the sake of the nation. So Father, we're lifting our hands to you and we're giving you permission. And I want to pray this last prayer, God. In Revelations, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And many times that scripture is used to pray in the context of unbelievers coming to salvation. But the, he was knocking at the door of the church. So I want us to pray this prayer as a roundup. It's, it's this, Lord, I don't want you to have to knock on the door of my heart anymore. I'm giving you the keys. Come in however you want, whenever you want, and turn around what you need to turn around because this temple is yours. You will drive me, you will lead me, and I choose to follow. Even when it's difficult, I want to be like Jesus that prays. Not my will, but yours be done. I submit to your government today. Have your way in me, in Jesus' name.